Have you found yourself in a hopeless place? You're tired of fighting the fight with all the odds against you. And you're in a place of desperately wanting relief. Well, today we're going to look at the beginning of Psalm 4 and see just how King David dealt with this very issue. Hi, my name is Kelly Darty. In today's episode, we're going to look at how King David dealt with what many would have thought to be a hopeless situation. We uh, are in Psalm 4, and we're going to start in verse 1, reading verses 1 to 3. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and Hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Some people believe that Psalms 3 and 4 are actually related uh, that they that they're referring to the same situation or same uh, occasion, and that would be if if what many theologians think is is right, that would be Absalom's rebellion. You know, David had shown his son grace, and this is how he's repaid. His own people have turned against him, and he's on the run for his life. You know the hurt and the confusion, the the anger, must have run deep, but. In this psalm, we see just where David goes in the midst of all that's going on. So, you know, I have to ask myself, where do I look? Where do I go in times like this where I'm desperately searching for relief? I think we see something in this, uh, in this passage that, that's helpful in thinking through this. You know, David, uh, he, he had a right understanding of just who he was dealing with, who he was up against. In, in verse 2, he refers to them as sons of men. Oh, sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? The term sons of men, it, it, it would appear that David recognizes his attackers to be finite. They're sons of men, and therefore they're not a permanent threat. Often we allow our problems to take on the appearance of being bigger than the Lord. We need to have that right perspective as we go through the trying times of life, and that perspective would be that there, there's no one like the Lord and that he alone is in control of our circumstances. You know, in Psalm 113, verses 1 to 9, remind us of this truth. It starts off in verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise his name. In verse 2, blessed be the name of the Lord. In verse 3, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And in verse 5, who is like the Lord our God? In verse 7 there in Psalm 113, he goes on to say, he raises the poor from the dust. In verse 9, he makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. 
So again and again and again in this passage, praise the Lord, bless the Lord. And, and then the reminder that he raises the poor. He makes the barren woman joyful. And in the middle of all of this, verses 1 to 9 there in Psalm 113, he says this, who is like the Lord our God? Do we agree with him? You know, as New Testament believers, this should be the same reality for us. In Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10, we read this, For in him, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity, so all the fullness of God, dwells in bodily form. So in Christ, we find all of God. And verse 10 says this, And in him, in Christ, you have been made complete. And he is the head of over all rule and authority. There's no one like him. He's in control. You know, many times I've had, uh, I've heard alumni tell me that in going home, they've, they've experienced, you know, trying times. And it would be in a place that they didn't really expect it to be from. It would be from their believing friends. And they say, that they they say they're believers and and they 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 are but they behave as though they're not and I, i'm not talking about the the big bad rebellious dark things I, i'm talking about you know we often behave as though we're not believers by being busy trying to achieve the good things I remember one uh, one particular alumni told me about uh, going home and sitting down with his friends, and and they they were discussing some of the issues in the church, some of the problems that their their local body was having, and then their friends went on to explain their ideas of how they could fix this and what the church needs to do, and and our alumni just mentioned, you know, guys, listen, we have Jesus, so what we need to do is to trust Him with these issues to wait on him, let him work in our hearts and then respond to that. And after saying this, his friends replied with this, yes, of course, but we need to, now wait a minute. So yeah, there's something I've, I've come to understand that, you know, and I have to listen to this, you know, as I, you know, when I'm speaking too, when I'm in conversations, something really important for us to realize is that if we really want to know what we believe, listen to what we say after but see his friends said to, to him saying we need to abide in Christ where they're saying yes of course but we and they go on to say what we need to do you see what I'm getting at what we really believe comes after but do we really believe that Jesus is the head of all rule and authority according to Colossians 2:10 do we really believe that whatever we're going through, he's got this. Now, something else that's important for us, I, I think, in looking at our passage back in Psalm 4, first David understands who his attackers are, and then he has a clear understanding of what they're attacking him with. In verse 2, again, he says, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long Will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Two important words here, worthless and deception. 
David understands what his enemies are attacking him with. The word worthless means empty. So what they're coming at him with is empty. It's just a bunch of air. And the word deception means lie. It's a falsehood. So he, his enemies are coming at him with empty lies. Now, we know this doesn't mean that David lived a perfect life. Okay, we, we know the story of his life. We know that he was, he was a man and he dealt with the flesh. But David himself knows, he knows that to be true. Because, you know, he says at the beginning of this very passage in verse 1, he says, answer me when I call, listen to this, O God of my righteousness. He knows that his right standing before God has nothing to do with himself but is actually of God alone. He proclaims his righteousness to be a result of God's doing. So the best that mere man had against him were just empty lies. And he knows they are empty because of the contrast that he experiences of God's righteousness within him. So this being the case, how will he respond? In this situation, we see that in verse one, answer me when I call the word call important word here. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter one, verse five, where we read God called the light day there. The word it's, it's a it, it refers to a proclamation. And the same word is used in Genesis 45, verse 1, with Joseph. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried. That's the word there, cried. Same word as call in, in, in uh, Psalm 4. And here in Genesis 45, where Joseph cries, it describes his emotion when he revealed himself to his brothers. So we get a little bit more amplification here on the word call, as we look at how it's used in other parts of Scripture. When David calls out to God, it is a passionate proclamation. It is an act of certainty and deep conviction. It's not just an act of doctrinally correct verbiage or some prayer simply made from rote, something simply memorized and repeated. It comes from a deep, personal relationship. You know, there's been a lot of people that I've met, a lot of believers I've met, that have an incredible academic understanding of theology, but there's no peace, not compared to those who have little formal training, yet great peace, and a deep walk with the Lord. And that's because they have dared to trust Jesus and rely on him and his control and not their own understanding. Now, how can David have such confidence? Well, in verse 3, we read this. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The phrase set apart. It means that he has dealt differently with me. David knows this. So should you. So should I. If we have placed our faith in Christ. 
in First Peter, in chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, lays this out. He starts off in verse 1 of First Peter 2, I'm sorry, in verse 6, saying this, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Down in verse 9, it goes on to say, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see that the believer has been treated differently in Christ? We are no longer what we once were. Do you see that the believer is set apart, has been treated differently? You know, growing up, uh, we used to go out and visit my grandparents out in East Texas, and Grandpa was a rancher. And throughout the, the day, uh, throughout the week, you know, I, 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 would, I would be with him and watch him as a little boy work. And, you know, he dressed a certain way for work. And he was a hard worker. And it was hot, tiring work. And a lot of sweating. And uh, that was pretty much the week. But then I remember on Sundays, when I would sit in the living room, we're ready to go to church, and, you'd, and then Grandpa would come in. Grandpa always came in in his what we called Sunday best, and it, it he, he I to this day have yet to met a man who could clean up like my grandpa did. He was dressed well. I can still envision. I can see him now. He dressed well, and it made an impression on me. He had a set of clothes that were set apart for Sunday. And, you know, it helped instill in me an understanding that what we were about to do was different. It was special. We were coming together to worship God the same way at the same time. And just the way he dressed showed me that this was a special set-apart time. Those clothes were set apart for this. They weren't like the other clothes. The same is true of you if you've placed your faith in Christ. And you need to remember this when you're going through those trying times and needing, needing that, that, that relief. That in Christ, you've been treated differently. You are considered special. Because of being set apart, David knows that the Lord hears him as he, as he goes on. And he's, he, he, he just proclaims that you know the, the the Lord hears. He says, "You have relieved me in my distress." Verse one, and then he goes on and says, "Be gracious to me and hear my prayer." The Lord hears. On another occasion in David's life, he he again proclaims the the certainty that he has in the Lord hearing him. In Psalm six, verses eight to ten, uh, he, he tells us this: "Depart from me, all you who do iniquity." For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. 
The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. He is certain that the Lord hears. Are you aware of this reality? Again, in Psalm 34, verse 17, it reads, The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. I encourage you to go back and read Psalm 34, the whole, whole chapter, and, and, and just for the sake of seeing for yourself, just throughout the, that, that chapter, that the Lord sees, he's aware, he's concerned, and he cares for his children. This is to be our reality. We know this as believers. In 1 John 5, verse 14, we read this. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And again, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you know this truth? Do you know, having placed your faith in Christ, being his, as we walk in relationship with him, that he hears? He hears you. Well, because David knows he has been set apart and that the Lord hears him, there is relief for him in the midst of his trial. The word relief in verse 1 is an important word. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. The word relief, it literally means you have made room for me. It, it, it brings with it an understanding of, of, of a wide, large place. In Isaiah 30, verse 23, the word is translated as roomy. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it here as freed me. You have freed me. When the girls were little and a storm would come in here in central Texas, you know, those big thunderstorms that we can get, I remember how we would hear them jump out of bed. They slept in the room above us. They would jump out of bed and you'd hear those little feet pounding the floor as they ran down the, the hallway and down the staircase and burst into our bedroom. And already Arlene and I had made room for them. We had already pulled the covers back and we had made, you know, pushed us, put, you know, moved aside so that they would have room to be there with us. And it was there, even though the storm was still pounding outside, that relief became a reality for them. A roomy place was theirs. This is what the Lord has for his people. And David understands that all of this, being set apart, being heard, being relieved, all of this is the Lord's doing. David's confidence is the Lord. In the midst of all that he's going through, this hurt, this confusion, and possible anger, and all of this, he is confident that the Lord has set him apart, that the Lord hears him, and that the Lord is his relief. 
David's confidence is the Lord. How about you? Is he your confidence? Is he your relief? Or can you only know relief once you have handled this and done this and this works out the way you think it should work out? Do you have the same confidence that David had? That the Lord is his relief? Well, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you should. You should have the same confidence. Philippians 4.13, Paul says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word through means on account of, because of. So I can do all things because of Jesus, on account of Jesus who strengthens me. So David calls. Again, this is an act of certainty, of deep conviction. Do you share this certainty and deep conviction? It is a call in the midst of trial, yet from the place of relief. Large, roomy place of freedom. Is this your reality? If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then it is supposed to be your reality. Are you identifying with what is true of you in Christ? We were leading home Bible study, and for weeks, a friend of mine would come and he would sit right in front of me. After the Bible study was over, we would then, you know, get up and go into the dining room and, and there would be food there. But this particular day, my friend just stayed in his seat. He waited for the room to mostly clear out and then he let me know he wanted to talk to me. And he said this, Kelly, I'm a good man. I try hard to do right by others. I attend church. I'm active there, serving others. And then he went on to basically say this. I've tried. And nothing, get this, nothing that I have achieved works. Now that's a place of desperation. Nothing that I have achieved works. Do you ever feel like your busyness is really a busyness of doing nothing? Because it doesn't work. My friend looked at me and he said, Kelly, what do I do? And, you know, we went on to talk some more and uh, I, I, um, I talked to him, uh, you know, about the Lord, about Jesus, about the reality of Christ being our life and not just, you know, someone to emulate, not just someone to get us to heaven, but to literally be our life in the good times and the hard times. I gave him a book to read, and it was uh, one of Major Thomas's books. The indwelling life, and he—he's not a reader, even though he's a retired school teacher. He's not a reader. He can't stand it. 
but he read that. His wife was not used to seeing him always being in a book. And she would come into the living room, and he's there sitting on the couch reading. So she wouldn't bother him. She just walked on by, went to the kitchen. She'd come out of the kitchen a while later, and he's still reading the book. The next day, she's walking you know, through the house, and she sees him sitting somewhere else reading the same book, and then later in the day, reading the same book. And as my friend was reading through this, and Major Thomas's re- reminders that Christ is your life, Christ is to be your rest, Christ is to be your joy, Christ is to be your enabling in any situation. He is to be your reality in all situations. Finally, his wife just couldn't take it anymore. She walked up to him and she said, what are you doing? I don't ever see you do this. My friend told me he looked up at his wife and he simply said this. I'm changing. Is this the reality for you? As you look to Jesus which is our encouragement in Hebrews chapter 12. As you fix your eyes on Jesus in the midst of whatever you're going through, do you find that there is a roomy place for you? There is relief. This is to be your reality. Jesus' invitation to us is this. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is this rest your reality? Is Christ your relief, your roomy place? Thanks for listening to today's episode of the His Hill Podcast. Just a few announcements before we go. Summer camp has ended. We had a busy summer with over 800 campers. Please pray for these campers as they go back to school, that they would continue to grow as they remember what the Lord worked in their hearts while they were here. Bible school starts September the 8th. We'll be welcoming 70 students. For those of you alumni who were part of the 30 and 35 bunch, just imagine doubling that. Please be praying for us as the students prepare to travel and the staff begin the process of making things ready. Thanksgiving conference is coming up on November 23rd to 26th. Zane Black and Peter Reed will be our guest speakers. Zane is the founder of Loving Life Ministries, and Peter is the general director of Torchbearers. We are so looking forward to a great week. The costs of sessions are free, childcare is free, and please see our website for accommodation pricing. If you're interested in listening to sermons by our director, Charlie McCall, you can do so weekly at berniebiblechurch.org, and that is spelled B-O-E-R-N-E, biblechurch.org. You've been listening to the His Hill Podcast with our host, Kelly Doherty, and my husband. My name is Arlene Doherty. Until next time, remember to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.